0: Mark chapter number 4, if you will, we'll get going here, Mark chapter number 4, we're down to verse 21, Uh, we got down through last time, the parable of the sower there, starting verse 13, and uh, we've uh, been looking and talking about the parables, and uh, we're going to keep looking and seeing parables as we move forward here. And again, the parables all have to do with the kingdom program, with Israel's program, with the preaching of the kingdom of God. And it's uh, important that we remember that as we go through Mark here. Uh, the, the focus of uh, the parables is on the fact that when Christ presented himself to the nation, they rejected him. And uh, in that rejection, the parables now are beginning to identify two people groups, two groups of people within Israel. The justified, uh, the little flock, the believing remnant, the ones that's justified God by, by, by being baptized of John. That's one group. The other group is the ones that have rejected the counsel of God against themselves, and that's the apostate nation. So the little flock, the... The group of believers, uh, they're the ones being formed now and being pulled, gathered together. They're the ones that were in the ministry, under the ministry of John the Baptist, then the Lord and the Twelve, and then off into uh, the Acts period and so forth. They're the ones that are going to get the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, it is your father to give pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then you have the apostate nation. Now, the little, the little flock, he says, he says there in Matthew 21... I'm going to take the kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to a nation bringing forth fruit and the fruits of righteousness and the fruits of the kingdom. So the parables are dealing with how the little flock is formed. That's the parable of the sower. How the little flocks form, those foregrounds the, the, and so forth, uh, how the little flock is being gathered together together. And then how, and how to deal with there's a delay that's coming uh, when in regards of the kingdom actually coming. They thought that with the Lord being there, that he was going to instantly set up his kingdom and instantly get on in there. But rather, he's going to tell them there's a delay. Now, he doesn't tell them what the delay is here in Mark 4. He is a little later. That delay is Calvary. He's got to go and die and be death, burial, and resurrection. Rather, here now, he's going to begin to talk to them about their ministry in his absence. And we're going to see that. And the parables, they focus in really on the delay. And uh, again, they don't understand why the delay. He's going to begin to tell them. He's going to begin to, actually, if you look at verse 13, and he said unto them, Know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know All parables. And the issue here, again, is that he's going to, with the parable of the sower here in Mark. Now, the parable of the sower is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He explains that parable so that they can understand all the other parables. Now, in Matthew 13, there's a second parable that he explains, and that's the parable of the tares and the wheat and and, and so forth. And there he does that as well. So he's explaining what's happening and again, the little flock is, they're the ones that if you look up back up there at verse number 9, and he said unto them he that hath ears to hear let him hear. And that's the issue with the parables. Now the parables again, the parable of the sower specifically because we're here in Mark 4, It again it has to do with The sower, verse 14, the sower soweth the word. Uh, Luke calls it the word of God. Matthew 13 narrows it down to the word of the kingdom. So you're going to see this issue with the sower now lead us into uh, what's going to be down in a little bit here. We'll see the parable of the mustard seed. And when that parable shows in, again, that parable's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. So the sower here is identified as the son of man the Lord the the focus in the sower is those grounds the four different soil types and, and again the wayside that's the hard ground then you've got and, and again Satan comes and gets so that's the instant that adversarial uh, attack to the Word of God being taught it's an instant thing immediately it takes it out of their heart then you have this the the, the uh, stony ground, the thorns, and the good ground. So the focus here, again, is how that little flock's being being formed. The Lord has got his message going forth. Here's then the response from the nation of Israel. And again, as the seed, the word of the kingdom is being preached, here's the response to it, but also here's the result of it, and that is that issue of the little flock and the issue of bringing forth fruit. If you look at verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. And that's the issue is fruit. I I think last time, uh, come over with me to John 15. Uh, Just look at this. I believe we looked at this last time and uh, we'll uh, look at it here. John 15, the issue of fruit and fruitfulness If you look at John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, and that it may bring forth, what? More fruit. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So back in Mark, the issue again here of fruit you're going to bear fruit. You got more fruit. You got much fruit. And that's going to correspond with the issue in 420 there of Matthew of Mark, Mark 4, verse 20, of the issue of the 30, the 60, and the 100. Those numbers are growth numbers, fruit bearing numbers. They're, they're numbers that, uh, the, that's the results that you're going to get here as you're, you're fruit bearing, as you're growing and we need to remember that the issue of fruit is man's purpose in the earth was to be fruitful Genesis 128 he looked at man he said first thing be fruitful multiply replenish subdue go be fruitful so the fruitfulness of man in the earth is really what the kingdom program is ultimately going to accomplish for man do for man what man couldn't do and that is being fruitful so the word here, uh, he, he's teaching it, verse 21, we're going to get into this, uh, they, it is to be fruitful. And again, the parables, they're coming along, they're identifying the nation that will bring forth the fruit of the kingdom. And uh, that's, that's the, what the word is going to do, is it's going to work in them, and then they're going to produce the good fruit, that's that issue of the good ground. It's been sown in them and it's results there. So when you look here now, verse 21, and he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? Now, notice the question. To get them to, th- he asked questions here to cause them to think about something. To think about the word of God. Does the word, the light, it's, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light in my path. The, the, the candlestick, uh, that's a reference really, if you hold on here, look over at Revelation 1. <coughs> Revelation verse uh, chapter 1. The issue here of a candle. Think about it. Does the word come into your life for you to, for the purpose of hiding it and putting it away? You know, later on he's going to tell them, you know, let your light so shine. Don't hide it under a bushel. Well, he's getting to that here with them. Uh, think about it. Under. Think about a candle being underneath the bed. Some items on your body would get warm quickly, wouldn't they? <laughs> Uh, if not and so he again he's talking about about hiding it uh, revelation 1 verse 20 the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches so what are the seven stars they're the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the what the seven churches. So the, the reference to the candlestick, that's the churches who have what? The light. They're getting the word. Now, you know, go back to Mark 4. Now, what are the parables doing? The parables, if you look down there at verse 34 or verse 33, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. So there is one group that's getting the information that it's hid from. And there's another group that's getting the information that it isn't hid from. See? So the information ultimately is to be made manifest. And that's what he's going to get into here. But right now it's being hid. There's an apostate nation, unbelieving element. Moses, they come out of Egypt and Numbers, and he calls them a mixed multitude, believing and unbelieving. It's always been that way, and it will always go on that way. So you've got this issue here that he's driving home now that, hey, look, when you get the light, the candle, don't hide it. You're going to go out here and manifest it and preach it and proclaim it. But right now, there's going to be some hidden stuff that's going to happen and then ultimately out there in the kingdom, which is where they're going, they're, it's going to be made known. Watch verse 22, um, Mark 4:22. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Now verse 23 alerts you to the fact he's talking about parables. He say, look, right now it's hid. But it's ultimately to be made manifest. And again, in the prophetic scriptures, that's the kingdom. Verse 24, And he said unto them, Take heed ye what ye hear, with what measure ye meet. It shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken, even that which he hath. So th- there's a warning here. When you hear the word of God, its design is to be a testimony. It's designed to be something that people can see. So don't hide it under a bushel. Don't hide it under a bed. Now, the bushel and the bed represent something that's going to come their way. The, the bushel, the material things, commerce, there's going to be a day when if they don't have the mark of the beast, they can't buy or sell. There's the bushel. Then the bed is the bed of ease, laziness. Uh, they're they're not out working. So there, there's a hindrance here of being of brightly shining the testimony that could come up against them. One, the issue of ease, the bu- the commerce. The, the fear of labor is hindering them. And then that issue of, of laziness, just going out, and not being there, not doing the fear of labor and everything. And that's what, we're, that's what he's dealing with here. Now, look at verse 22. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. There's nothing to be hid, it's, to, it's going to be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come. Abroad, All these things will be revealed. It's going to come abroad. It's going to show. And in Mark's case, the servant's job is to preach these things out. It's to proclaim them out. Not hide them, but to proclaim them, to get the information out. Now, again, he's he's going to be, the Lord is, he's going to leave them. And they're going to carry on a ministry in his absence. And that's where, that's where he's moving. Actually, that's what the rest of the chapter 4 and, and the beginning of 5 is dealing with. Is there, He's going to say some things to them. He's going to give them, verse 24, and he said unto them. He's going to give them some information. He's going to give them uh, the word. He's going to, in Matthew 3, these are called the seven mystery parables of the kingdom. The mystery parables, and he groups them together and he does all that. And again, it's going to be key here as we move forward to catch, and he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. That's the warning. And that's going to be the issue. The issue here is you've been given light, you've been given revelation. You've been given information that needs to be made known, needs to be shared. Don't hide it. It needs to get out there on the good ground and bear fruit. And when it does, there's going to be some negative responses to it. But you need to take heed. You need to make sure that what you are hearing is the truth. And that your, respo- your response to the truth is positive. And you need to, so they're going to need a discerning ear. If you look there at verse 23, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. The words that Christ preached, the words that he's making known, Is when, when he goes and preaches to Israel, he's demanding a response from them. There's a demand of a response. They can't just go mute. It's there. We looked last time how that they had this stuff, that that thing there in verse 15 about was sown in their hearts. They had that from the get-go. They didn't have an opportunity to say, I didn't know that. (laughs) That's why he would look at them and say, have you not read? You've erred not knowing the scriptures. Don't you You know this? Nicodemus, you're a master in Israel. You don't know this? You don't know Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36? You don't know it? And yet they're supposed to. So, in this candle uh, parable, if you will, that's what Schofield calls it here. He, he looks at them, verse 24, and he said unto them, take heed what you hear. The believer hears the word, from uh, the word of God, the word of the kingdom. He believes it, trusts it. What does it do? It bears fruit. And when it bears fruit, then what do they have? Well, look at the verse what and what with what measure you met you meet it shall be measured to you and unto you that here shall more be given. So as they get it, the more you listen, the more you hear, the more you believe, the more you bear fruit then guess you got a bigger responsibility for, uh, for he that hath to him shall be given. verse 25 there there's more, there's more but and he that hath not. So the guy not getting it, the guy not believing it, the guy on the other side, what's happening? He's rejecting the word. It shall be taken uh, not uh, from him, shall be taken even that which he hath. Well, what does he have? What does Matthew 21 say? I'm taking the kingdom from you guys, and I'm giving it to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Matthew 21, 43. So you've got this thing going on here that he's beginning to lay out for them the issues here that are coming to them. And again, it's not hard to follow down through this. They're going to respond to the face, to to the truth that's being preached, and their response to that is going to determine how much uh, and even if they're going to get more. And again, that's what he's dealing with and again the difference between the little flock and the apostate nation is what's being laid out here the little flock they're they're getting it they're believing it they're producing the fruit the multitudes the apostate nations we looked at them in those those grounds last time the 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 uh, religion that's the first one the 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 um, the wayside the hard ground that's the religion crowd the the leadership, and then you've got them kind of bounced down. They're not getting it. They're not believing it, so it's taken from them. Now, if you look at verse 26, and he said, so is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now he's going to bring in that issue of the kingdom of God. Here, again, here's... Matthew 13, the mystery king parables of the kingdom. And we looked at that a couple times ago, a couple studies ago, where he would say, the kingdom is likened unto. And he would go into something, and that's what he's doing here. Now, this is an interesting uh, little insert here. Uh, verse 26, and he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up he knoweth not how for he for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself first the blade then the ear after that the full corn in the ear and when the fruit is brought forth immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. Now again a lot of you know, pictures here and we've looked at the sower and we've looked a little bit at the tears in Matthew 13, we're going to go back over there here in just a minute, and what happens is, is every detail has been identified for us. In verse 28, you see the first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn. Again, the three steps of growth, the 30, 60, 100. Those, there's growth there, and the growth is really not just one individual, but it's really what all of the kingdom saints are producing. The fruit, the blade, the ear, the full corn. Then the harvest has come. Now, this, is, this passage here, these three, four verses, is only found in Mark. Again, Mark's presenting the Lord as the servant, so we don't care about any of the others. Here's what the servant's doing. What's he doing? He's producing fruit. He's working. And, again, the process here. Now, the issue in this little section is verse 29, the end of it there, about the harvest. You know how, uh, we understand how this works. You sow the seed. Then what do you do? You go on with life. That's what this guy did. He planted the seed there, verse 27, and or, and should sleep and rise night and day. What does he do? He he just goes on with life. He cultivates it. He waters it a little bit, and he goes on. And what, but what happens to the seed? It takes root. It grows. It produces a blade. It produces an ear, and then it produces the full corn. And he doesn't know how that works. And honestly, unless you dig into biology, you don't know how that works. You just know what? The earth bringeth forth fruit of itself. It's just going to do that. The man doesn't care how it happens. He just cares that when it's harvest time, what's sitting there? A full corn of ear. And it do, he doesn't understand. He just knows it works. Now, what's the seed in our sower? It's the word. It's the word of God, the word of the kingdom. So you're going to sow the word, right? The word's going to go to work. Meanwhile... What are you over here doing? The cares of life. You're just sleeping day and night. You're up, you're doing, you're out. You don't know if that word's working. Until when? Until the harvest, okay? So if you think about, here's the little flock, Acts period, because this is where we're moving to, towards. They're out sowing, there's Peter and James and John, and the guy's out sowing the Pentecostal church they're seeing numbers grow, they start small, 120, okay, little seed, they start small, and then they grow out to about 20K, roughly by the time they get to chapter six, roughly, they, so the handbooks say. So they don't, you know, they're not catching how the words work and how, they're just seeing what? Hey, harvest time, look at what we, here's the fruit. Now come over to Matthew 13, because notice what the harvest is and what we're talking about here. Uh, Matthew 13. The the parable of the wheat and the tares, Matthew 13, uh, tells about the opposition that they're going to face during the early Acts ministry, their Acts ministry, and on into the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, and then on into the kingdom. And that opposition, it's, it's a growing thing. Uh, and it's a growing opposition The adversary to, to what they're doing, to the ministry that they're working. And that vain religious system's out there trying to corrupt the little flock. It has corrupted Israel. It's now coming, coming over here, and it's trying to work in that little flock. And they've got to stand to it. Now, look at 13, 36. Then, uh, Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one the enemy that soweth them is the devil now notice the timing here when the Lord in the Lord's earthly ministry the field is notice what it says is the world in the earthly ministry of Christ so in Matthew Mark Luke and John does Christ talk to the world Or does he just talk to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the lost Matthew 10. I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Boys, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. We're going right here. So then that tells us that this parable of the tares isn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John timing-wise. It's where? It's in Acts. Now, hold on to here. Just hold on to Matthew 13 and go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And verse 8. Because in Acts 1, he's going to broaden their scope of their commission. Acts 1, eight, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. See how before Matthew 10, Matthew 5, don't, you don't go to the Gentiles. He looks over there uh, at uh, the, the, the woman at the well, and he says, I'm not sent to you, and she's a Samaritan. You, no, you go away. In Luke 18, he talks about the daughters of Abraham. He heals the lady. She's a daughter of Abraham. In John, talking to Zacchaeus, come, salvation has come to your house because you're a son of Abraham. He, he talks over there about salvation is of the Jews. Here, in Acts 1-8, now go back to Matthew 13, what's happened? Now the field is, on, is in play. Now he's talking about the whole world. He expands the little flock's commission after the death, burial, and resurrection to now go out. Now, they're going to start in Jerusalem because Jerusalem's got to be right first. Then they're going to move out. And by the way, when you get to Acts 7, Jerusalem stoned Stephen in the picture of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, killing the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 8... You've got Philip, and who does he go to? He goes to the Ethiopian, who's a picture of the Gentiles being ready to receive the light, the word of God. And then he goes over to the Samaritans, a picture of the ten northern tribes are now ready to receive the light. So the Samaritans are ready, the Gentiles are ready, but Jerusalem, there's nobody there but the twelve. They're gone. Well, the, the apostles, I'm sorry, there would be... Well, no, that's, that's Acts 8. So J- James is not killed yet. The 12 are there. Nobody else in Jerusalem. They've all been scattered abroad under the persecution. So what's happening? He's, the issue here, back in Matthew 13, is timing-wise, the tares is future of where they're at. The sower, here's the Lord. What's he doing? He's establishing the little flock. Where is it coming from? It's coming off these four soils, these out of this one group of good ground, and here we go, and off we go. Now, he's giving them instructions on how they're to operate in the function in his absence. Matthew 13, look at verse 38. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked ones. Now, again, the wicked one, it's not capitalized here like Paul does in 2 Thessalonians 2, talking but he's talking about the Antichrist, Paul is, but really, he's, what's he talking about? Well, the enemies that sowed them is the devil. He's talking about, there's the adversary. He's the enemy. So he's talking about the one who's standing against the little flock. The, the one that's come up against them to oppose them in what they've been given to do in the absence of the Savior, the Lord, and now the adversaries. So little flock, don't think this is going to be pie in the sky here. You're going to get nailed as well. There's trouble. Now watch verse 40. I'm sorry, 39. The harvest is what? The end of the world. The reapers are the angels. So what is the harvest? He's got the blade, the corn, the the ear, the full corn, until when? The harvest. What's the harvest? That's the end of the world. So this is going to take them, the tares, by the way, if you look at verse 40, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. That stuff in the... All through the prophets about getting rid of the dross, getting the ten out, using the Antichrist as a rod of my indignation to purge out the dross, to purge out the iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then, and only then, really, shall the righteousness shine forth as the sun, in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So really, the, this parable and what we're talking about in Mark, it is taking them from the Lord's day, the little flock, but it's taking them all the way through the Acts period, through the 70th week of Daniel, and into the kingdom, the second coming, and into the kingdom. Which, by the way, is what John the Baptist told them. Come, you're in Matthew 13, look back there at Matthew 3. John the Baptist has already warned them about this. Matthew 3, verse 11. I, and that's John the Baptist, indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in the hand. By the way, holy, baptize you with the Holy Ghost, that's Acts 2, Pentecost, church. Fire, well, that's the second coming, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. There's the good seed, there's the children of the kingdom, there's the little flock, And but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's the tares, there's the, excuse me, the children of the wicked one, there's the apostate nation and the whole kingdom program comes to a conclusion at that uh, the, the, the manifestation of the kingdom goes on forever okay so this the whole est- program of establishing the kingdom it's coming at the harvest and that's where he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff the wheat from the tares and he's going to take the the chair the the chairs the tares and the chaff, and burn them up. And he's going to take the wheat on into the kingdom. So when you come back to Mark 4, he's looking at them saying, Look, guys, you go out there and you're going to sow, you're going to preach, and you're going to go out and make manifest the things that I'm teaching you. And you're going to go about your business. You're going to go out there, you're going to do, you're going to be working, and you're going to take on it. and you're going to sow the word. And you're, you're not going to know the end result till the harvest. You're going to get out there and you're going to, you're going to put that seed out there. On, and it's going to fall on the stony ground, the thorny ground, the wayside. But it's also going to fall on the good side, seed, the good ground. And it's going to grow. And it's going to bring f- forth fruit. And when the harvest comes, we'll reap the benefit of it. So the time of the reaping is also the time of harvest. And the great question that comes up and is gonna come up with these guys is, well, when do we quit doing ministry? You don't quit. You can't quit until the harvest. When the harvest is in, now you can quit. Now, if you think about what happens Matthew 28, which is the, the, the instructions at the end of Matthew 28 about going through the world and preach the gospel to all the nations, that's the Gentiles, that takes place in the kingdom in the thousand years when Satan's bound. So what are they still doing? They're still doing the work because the harvest hasn't come in yet. Because after the thousand years are up, Satan's loosed for about 30 seconds and he's zapped. it's a little more than 30 seconds, but he's he's dealt with, cast into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment happens, and then what? New heaven and new earth. Now we're in the harvest time. And really, you don't get to. You, it was. Set, I wrote this down. You don't get paid to plant. You get paid when you harvest, and that's the deal. So Christ is telling them there's a there's a long a, this is a long-term thing. It's not going to be over quick. They thought he was going to bring the kingdom in immediately. He's like, nope, this is going to be, there's a delay here, and it's going to be drug out over some time. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to get the light, you're going from the word of God, which is a testimony of what needs to be out there so it'll bring forth fruit. You don't hide it. And when you do go out there and work, just know that the results of your labor won't be known at until the harvest. Not before then. You're going to go at it. You're going to work. You're going to work. You're going to work. Okay? Then he starts in verse 30. And he said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. And now we've got the great mustard seed parable. Okay? And we're going to talk a little more about that. We're going to talk about that one next time. Because the mustard seed gets beat up. It gets beat up greatly in religion. The The mustard seed grain here... Uh, it is in all three, God, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. By the way, in John, there's hardly any parables. Because John is depicting the Lord as who he is, the Son of God. So there's no reason to hide who he is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew presents him as the king. So Matthew literally takes the parables, no chronological order, but he groups them around ideas and thoughts. Matthew is a governmental official. He's preparing a brief for court to prove that Jesus Christ is the king. He is the Messiah. So he groups information. Luke, he takes it a little bit in chronological order, but he's not worried about the king thing. He's worried about the humanity side of Christ. So he's going to present them in a little different light. We'll see that as we go through the mustard seed, the, the storm, and so forth. But Mark depicts the Lord as the servant, and you know what? All the servant cares about is my work schedule for next week. So Mark is literally the more chronological order of the events in the life of Christ. So when kinda, you kind know, of, you everybody wants to harmonize them. You know, if God wanted them harmonized, he'd have wrote one. He wrote four Gospels. And the reason are those four portraits of the life of Christ, the Messiah, those four faces of the cherub, all of that, you know, we've, and we've been through that, behold, behold, and the branch statements and the carpenter statements and all. So when you look at that, there's, there's this issue that's going on here about the mustard seed. Now, go back with me to Matthew 17. And I just want to kind of drive home a little bit here of a couple, a couple things at, that we've come down through about the candle and about the, 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 uh, the seed in the ground and the growth process, okay? Because it all leads into the mustard seed, the, the thought process. In Matthew 17, you have the Mount Transfiguration event happen. Okay? Down to verse 14. Look at verse 14. And when they were come to, to the multitude, <coughs> excuse me, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. They couldn't cure him. Okay? Now, what you have is you have Peter, James, and John. So three of the disciples are taken up on the Mount Transfiguration. Okay? You've got nine, nine of them left sitting at the bottom of the hill. They can't heal the guy. All right? Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless. And perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Okay, we've been casting out devils and unclean spirits and healing, because you gave us that power to do that. So we've been doing it, and now we can't. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So what do the preachers do? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can do what? Move mountains. You can go down there, and you can move the, the swirl, the Lost Dutchman, the Superstition Mountains. So you, what do you do? You believe him. That's what the verse says. So you go marching down there, praying, okay, and they don't move. Now, why don't they move? Well... The answer to the why they don't move is because God doesn't isn't operating that way today. He's operating in the age of grace, the dispensation of grace. The preachers, though, will tell you what you didn't have enough faith. See, they do this with money. If you send us the the uh, seed of your faith, we're talking about money. I had a guy, I had a buddy of mine one time. He's he was watching some. I was living in California. It was with my roommate. He was watching some guy on TV. And they're like, if you send a hundred dollars, God will bless you with a thousand. So Andy says, send me a thousand; he'll give you a ten thousand. You know, we're poor single guys. That didn't work that way. You know, send us our. Have you guys ever seen this guy Cleflo Dollar? You know, Dollar is his. You know, it's his last name, but it's also his middle name, and he's always like that. I I ran across him the other night, and a re, it was a rerun because you look up the when it was aired stuff, and, it's a, and what is it? Plant that seed of faith, and they're usually talking about money, and they miss what this whole chapter is about as it relates to what we're talking about in Mark 4, okay? The passage is, again, it's just beat up, Nine Ways to Sunday, because they're going to use it to put you on a guilt trip, put you underneath a performance-based system, to say that the problem is a lack of faith. And, when re- and, and again, the parables aren't about the church, the body of Christ. The parables are about the little flock in the kingdom. This passage has nothing to do with you and I. It has to do with Israel and her program. By the way, when you start doubting whether you have enough faith to move the mountains, okay, then what really happens is you begin to doubt whether you're saved or not. Because you can say, if I don't have enough faith to move that mountain, then how do I have enough faith to move God to justify me? Now you're in the doubt and fear, and you know what happens? You get frustrated, and you, why bother? And you go away, okay? If you look o- hold on to Matthew 17. Look over at Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, we have, he just cursed the fig tree, the barren fig tree in verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not. Ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Again, they're out there doing it. Go back to Matthew 17, and guess what's happening? It ain't happening. So now it's, you don't believe enough. And when, that, when you start that, it just snowballs down the hill, right into I'm doubting everything. I throw And, and what they usually do a lot of times is, is you, you, I'm going to show you the answer in Matthew 17. The answer is verse 21 to why they couldn't heal the guy, heal the kid. okay? But what happens then is then they start rearranging the verses, changing the verses, so they can match their theology, so they can keep you given to, into the offering box. See, there's a game here that they like to play. And they use that issue of the doubting. So if you look with me in Matthew 17 <clears throat> in verse 21, howbeit this, here's the answer. Howbeit this kind goeth not out by out, but by what? Prayer and fasting. Now, prayer and fasting. The reason, guys, the reason you can't he couldn't heal the guy is because of your unbelief. But unbelief in something very specific. They believe Romans ten: Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. They couldn't do something that before they could do. So when this man brings their, his boy to him okay what do they believe they can do healing cast out the unclean spirit so it isn't that they're not believing they can't do something they've missed something come back to chapter 9 chapter 9 and it's associated with the prayer and fasting you see there's something that they didn't believe that messed everything up. The prayer and fasting is, tells you what they didn't believe. Mark, or Matthew 9, 14. Well, again, we're just kind of jumping in. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? So the great question about fasting... Why do we fast and your guys aren't fasting? So the Lord answers. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Well, no, they don't mourn. What do they do? They rejoice. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. So there's a day that what's going to happen? He's going to leave them. Right now he's with them. So what do they do? They rejoice but there's going to be a day when he's taken from them and what's going to happen then shall they what fast now now come back to ma- uh, come back to over there to 17 uh, actually on your way st- stop in 16 so there's something happening here that happens in Matthew 16 that they miss and had they caught it what would they would have fasted and prayed first before dealing with young boy, 16:21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Before doing 17:1, going up on the Mount Transfiguration, demonstrating to Peter, James, and John, 2 Peter over there, he says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his glory. Uh, by the way, that answers the thing in verse 28 of chapter 16, when he says, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. But wait a minute, this was 2,000 years ago better, and the kingdom in here, well, Peter, James, and John saw his kingdom glory. Okay? So they use that to catch the Lord. I ah, see, we caught him in a lie. And, oh, by the way, your King James Bible's wrong, so, you know. No. Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18 catches that, okay? But prior to all of that, what did he just do with them in verse 21 of 16? He began. So that means before this event, he never said a word about Calvary, the cross, about death, burial, resurrection. Never before. The word bring forth began right there he began to say so from here on now he's going to begin to lay in the groundwork about he's going to go away from them be taken the bridegroom is going to leave now watch verse 22 because it's their reaction then peter took him and began to praise the lord and say thank you for your sacrifice and what can we do to help you Not at all. What did he do? He rebuked him. Now, could you imagine the guts to rebuke the Lord? You know who he is. Uh, No, Lord. No, No, you know what Peter said? No, nobody's getting you. Nobody's touching you. And you know what? You had to believe Peter because he's a commercial fisherman. He knew what it was to put him up and, you know, fight. Saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou sa- uh, savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Not look at that. He has giving. he's giving them information, verse 21, that they didn't know. Progressive revelation, we call that. More revelation here. And you know what? They didn't believe it. So the disciples, they continued on in what they knew. What they know? We can cast out the unclean spirits. We can heal the sick. They just didn't add in the latest information that he had just given to them. You follow that? He just told them, I'm leaving. Chapter 9 says when the bridegroom's gone, what are they going to do? Pray and fast. They didn't do that. They, verse 21, howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. They know. It's been told to them. Verse 16, 21. They just didn't stay up with the current revelation. And that's their unbelief. Their unbelief isn't that they didn't believe he's the Messiah. Their unbelief was, You're not going to die. Nobody's going to touch you. And yet, the word of God said he was going to die and be buried and rise again the third day. 1 John 5, in verse number 9, he says, If you believe the witness of men, the witness of God is greater If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he had testified of his Son. You believe men, you're going to trust what men say. Let's trust what God says. See, the issue here is who are you trusting? You see, the merit of your faith is in the object you're trusting. It's in who you're trusting. Not that you have faith, but who's worthy of that faith. They weren't staying current with God's word. So guess what? They couldn't operate like they had been. They couldn't heal the young man. So when you come to Mark 4 here, and it's time to quit. Mark 4, and he's going to, again, we'll get into verse 30 and following with the mustard seed next time. You come to Mark 4, and that's the issue here. The issue is, little flock, let's stay current with God's word, the light, the seed. You're out spreading the seed. You're out spreading the word of the kingdom, the word of God. Let's stay current. What's Peter and the boys going to, what is in Acts 2 when Peter preaches about the cross? It isn't a good thing. You have murdered. You've killed the Messiah. You did what David said you would do. You did what the psalm said. You did it. Look, at you just, he's not out there going, oh, man, just faith in the blood and the blood alone. Faith, you know, he's not doing that at all. He's what? He's current with who he is and where he is. He's sowing, see. And that's what's happening here in verse 20, Mark 4, verse 21. The candlestick. Here's the candle. Here's the light. Hold the light. Don't hide it. Get it out there, manifested. What was the manifestation by Peter in, in in the Pentecostal church? You killed the Messiah. The Father raised him, set him at His right hand, till His enemies are His footstool. And when that happens, you're gonna come back and clean all your clocks. A little Rick is in there, you know. And so what does he do? He's like, hey, oh man, he, you know. The chief priests, they got him in handcuffs, and he's like, You've, you killed him. You murdered him. And they're like, oh, you know, we told you you can say anything you want. Just don't bring up Jesus of Nazareth. And so what's Peter say? Jesus of Nazareth. You know, it's like, dude, really? You know, I could, I could just imagine sometimes John with him. Going, Would you just shut up so we can get out of here? You know, But not Pete. Pete deals with that guy outside the temple. He goes, I have no money, but I have something else. Now, where is Christ? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's not there. He, so there's a, there's a thing here, the 30, the 60, the 100, the blade, the ear, the full corn. There's growth. And if you look at that little flock in the Acts period, they start 120 in the upper room. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that after the, uh, the resurrection, he appeared to 500 of the brethren. So let's say they started with 500. In Acts two, the end of the first day of Paul's or Peter's ministry, he's got three thousand. Then in chapter five, I think it's like five thousand, and then in chapter six, it's six, and then it's a great multitude. And again, the handbooks kind of—I don't know how they calculate it out—but it's like a little over twenty k. That's a mega church in less than a year. See, I was reading a guy the other day about the starting of of this big church back in uh, back in the northeast. And he's like, yeah, we had 20, and it took us five years to get to here. And he's, you know, all of his number counting. These guys did it in less than a year. It started as a seed. And it's grown up. And that's what the mustard seed is going to do with In the parable is, hey, look, you guys are going to start small, but you're going to grow big. But there's always an opposition there, an adversary. And you've got to be ready for it. So as we begin to start 4:30 next time about the mustard seed, Mark is just laying it down. We got work to do, guys. We keep the work. We keep the metal to the pedal. We keep going. We, there's no quit till the harvest. There's no quit. And what we're doing is, is we're preaching. We're shedding. We're we're, we're shedding. We're showing, sowing the seed. We're sowing the word of the kingdom. We're getting it out there. We're his witnesses about who he is. And uh, there's an opposition coming. And we're not stopping until the harvest. The end of the world. And we're pushing. And we're going. And that's literally why you see Peter and John in, in the Acts period. And Stephen and Philip later on in Acts 7. They don't back down from the opposition. They stand the ground. Because their job is to do this issue of not hiding the information. Now, right now, in the Gospels, prior to Calvary, there is stuff being hid, but it's, not be, it's being manifested to the believing remnant. Then they are going to go, after his resurrection, they're going to go out now and make it known to everybody, to the nation as a whole. So you've got big multitude. They're going to follow him. He's going to, when we get over into that storm, Verse 36, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. They won't leave him alone. He's been all day out there healing people. And he's like, okay, guys, I got to go. We got to go to the other side. We got uh, more stuff to do. And they just follow him, you know, like, like mama duck and baby ducks. They just, well, why? Because they're looking for him to do something for them physically, not the spiritual side. And that little flock, they get on, you get on that other side of Calvary, and they just let, Peter doesn't hold anything back, nails them. He says when he comes back, he's going to be Lord and Christ. He's going to be the judge and the redeemer. And you've missed him. You are, you're toast. And that's exactly what Stephen says to him in Acts 7. And Acts 8 is the result. So, as we come through this th- these parables, and again we'll talk here about the mustard seed next time we'll get into that but the thing is, is th- these are here Mark is showing the work that needs to be done how it's going to be done the mode, the method, the means where Matthew is again, getting the court case together Luke is talking about the humanity and the, man- the humanity side Mark is pedal to the metal and let's go That's why that word immediately is everywhere, and the word and is everywhere. It's like he just doesn't. Why? Because there's work to do. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to look into uh, your word and to see what you were doing with your people in your day, in your earthly ministry, and what you will do with them out in the future day for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.